Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here. Tony's going to be handing you out some notes in just a moment. Just we got a front and back page. We're going to start the book of James today, at least start into uh, verse 1. And we're going to read through, again, a little bit of the first chapter. Uh, we're going to be spending probably, I'd say, two weeks, maybe three weeks in, in these verses. Uh, I think they're very important uh, for you know, the study of the Scripture, study of James, but exactly for our time period where we're at right now. In summary, what I've what I've well, what I've picked up and what I've learned from these these opening verses and these this book so far uh, is something to this effect: is it's going to be talking about trials, uh, and it's going to refer to all kinds of trials. But the book becomes a little more specific. Now, you don't have to see it in this book this way. You can just read this very generally. And some people that read it very generally get the idea that it's you know more like just proverbs and wisdom material, but if you think James is actually writing to a group of people that have some issues, have some problems, and they're being challenged in their faith, then this book may have a theme, an underlying theme, and I think we can pick it up as I've gone through several commentaries and they they point these things out and they they agree with what I'm. It's not like ah I've discovered the secret. Read my material. It's, it, this is kind of what, what they continue to come back to, is he's addressing trials. And he does talk about all kinds of trials, but that yet we've got a very specific group of readers that may have not just all kinds of trials, they may have this specific trial that they're dealing with. And you can go that through, you know, the Hebrews. You know, what, what the writer of Hebrews was talking about, it goes for all believers, but in this particular case, he was talking to the Jews around 63 A.D. And the, and the temptation of going back into the, the old law. But you can make applications to everything. You know, the Galatians had a situation. Paul specifically addressed it, but yet there's principles. So they're facing trials. And as we go through this, the next key topic is going to be wisdom. And this is going to continue to pop up during the, during the book. Uh, wisdom also includes the concept of the Spirit of God in this book. <coughs> and so when they're in trials... And they don't know what to do. How do we handle this? Uh, you ask God. And now throughout the book, there's the idea of asking God, trusting God, not doubting God. Because you're going through a trial and, and you don't know what to do. You're, you're in the world. We are thinking of ourselves as worldly creatures with worldly problems. And now we find this trial, this trouble. It's like, now let's solve the problem like the world. You know, that's worldly wisdom. You need wisdom from god now when you're in a worldly situation and you're confused because you're a worldly person or you're of the world in the world probably be better in the world ask god to show you because he doesn't want you solving your trials with worldly answers and those worldly answers are going to eventually be anger bitterness you know trying to pick and choose trying to navigate yourself and position yourself in a worldly manner that's going to be uh, the way the world handles it. You need wisdom from above so that in this, the trials, you're going to have the wisdom and you're going to know how to then respond. You're going to need, you'll know how to uh, respond. You'll know how to act because you've got this and you will not then fall into sin. And you can see on the top right there, uh, the three main points, uh, very, the key themes, I'll, I'll come back and read through this. If, well, number one is trials and temptations, then wisdom, and the issue, 
that you're responding and acting to, because that's why you need this wisdom, is going to be the issue throughout the book is going to be the poor and the rich or the wealthy. And the idea here is these people are the poor. Now this is very important to understand this a specific group, a specific situation. This is not a blanket statement, although we're going to see Mary, when she's told about Jesus' birth, refer to this. Quoting Hannah in the book of 1 Samuel, you're going to see Jesus teach this way. You know, blessed are you that are poor. Because, you know, you think good things are happening. But the ideal is it's not, and we, we know this, it's like, okay, you can preach that in a worldly way. If you're poor, you're going to be rich later on. It's like, well, I know some poor people that are really bad people. They're, they're, they're not, they, they lack wisdom. They're immoral. They've destroyed their life. They're poor because the world has crushed them because they're worldly. And that's the biblical principle. You live like the world. You go this way. It's sin is eventually going to produce, produce death. So you just can't say the poor are righteous. But yet Mary talks like that. Jesus talks like that. James in this book is going to be talking like that. It's like, but yet you can go see people that are, are in a sense, poor, destitute, and it's like, I know why you're poor and destitute. You're not following anything God told you to do. Well, I know in my own life, I've made mistakes, and the reason I'm struggling is I didn't do what was righteous. Do you understand that? Now, that's not, that's not trying to, that's just saying poor does not equal righteous any more than wealth because, yeah, the rich, why is that person so wealthy? Well, because they're a rock star, not because they're righteous, for example. Because if, if all the, the righteous people were wealthy, that would mean, well, you understand, that, that's, but yet if you follow God, there's the promise of some benefits. And Solomon's an example of that. So you've got righteous people in the poor, you've got righteous people in the rich, you've got you know, wicked people in the poor, you've got wicked people in the rich. So erase that concept as a blanket statement, and now in this book, the poor are poor, and the wealthy are oppressing them, and the reason the poor are associated with the righteous is the poor have broken with the world by joining the Messiah faith in the messiah they've joined jesus they're they're followers of jesus uh and yet there are, are are people that are wealthy that have rejected jesus they've maintained control of their culture their jewish culture following the traditions of the old law the ways of the world in their culture and the these people are being oppressed so that would make these wealthy people the oppressors and these poor people the righteous so, in this book, the trials, again, he says, of various kinds, but specifically, you're being oppressed, you are poor, you are destitute, uh, you've lost your status in society, you may have lost connection with your family, you may have, lo- you may have been canceled because you are a follower of Messiah. See, now, now see what I'm talking about? This is going to fit right into where we are headed. You're going to follow reality. You're going to follow Jesus Christ. You're going to follow the Word of God. Well, the world is against reality, creating their own reality. 
They're against the word of God. They're against Jesus Christ. The nations are conspiring, Psalm 2, against the Lord and his anointed one. Well, now what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to stand with the Lord and his anointed one. Well, the nations are against you. You're going to be oppressed. And we have times in history where it's more intense than other times, but I feel like our culture is in or facing or entering or getting deeper into a time where the the righteous who are going to embrace God's reality, God's word, God's Messiah, the nations are conspiring, sometimes right out in the open, sometimes behind the scene, and if it's not some kind of you know, hidden government, it is the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms that our battle is against, that they are trying to oppress the righteous and drive them out of a place of position in the earth. Now, so you're going through trials in this particular case, the poor versus the wealthy, and throughout the book, the idea is, and this is, this is now for you and me, and I've been asking this question for the last year or so, and it's just interesting in this book, maybe it's because I've been asking that question of God, of my own heart. It's like, now how, how do we respond? I mean, how, how do you respond in this culture to some of the things that are going on? Well, you know what? We need to take up arms and fight. Uh, we need to protest. We need to, they're going to start a riot. We're going to start a riot. I mean, oh, is, that, is that the case? Uh, uh, maybe. Okay, this book is going to say no. <laughs> but it's like, you can get, it's like where we go. And what we need, and what I needed earlier, you heard me ask it, you even heard me talk about it, like during class, sometimes after class. It's like, I'm not sure what to do. I mean, do we just keep teaching the word of God, just kind of like acting like nothing's changed, everything's normal, I just keep teaching until they shut me down? Or do I, while I've still got what we say, some freedoms and some rights, take up arms and not necessarily physical arms, but take up and start building my case, uh, protecting myself. What, what, what do we do? Well, what do I need? If any of you, that's what he said right there, right there. It, the, we face many trials. He says, it, it's good, it's good. But what you need to do is you need to ask God for wisdom. Now, he's not going to come to you and rebuke you. He's going to give you the wisdom. And as we read on through this book, he's going to come up with some of those examples. And those examples are not like, he says, why do you go and ask God and you don't receive? It's because you're looking for some advantage for your own benefit. You're, trying, you're asking for some way to win the worldly battle. You're trying to find some way to win the political battle. How do we re- re- defeat the uh, political opposition? How do we defeat the business opposition? How do we defeat, it's like, well, wait, wait, wait. And that's, it's like, but why is that God giving us direction? Well, you're asking him to coach you like a worldly coach, like a worldly life coach. Now, here's your next step to get ahead. Of. It's like, he's not trying to win this game. Well, at, look at Jesus. Jesus came and died on the cross. Now follow him. Okay, now we're going to start winning. What? I mean, if anyone's going to win, it's Jesus. He looked at Peter, the disciples. I could call a legion of angels. It's like, I don't have to go through this. I, I could have sold out in, in, during the temptations of Satan and had the kingdoms by now. This is not how we're playing. Okay, I understand that. I'm a Christian. I understand Jesus. But now, today, how do we win the game? God's still not trying to win the game. He's going to win the big game. And that's why it says, it's going to eventually say, you poor, rejoice. You should be, you should be joyful because big things are happening for you. The wealthy 
they're told, you better mourn because you're hanging on to your wealth. And the reason you've still got wealth is you don't understand the game. You think you're winning, but you're going to pass away like a wildflower. Jesus taught that. Mary sang that, quoting Hannah from 1 Samuel. It's all the same idea. And the idea here is not the wealthy are the wicked and the poor are righteous. The idea here is these people, the poor, have found something more valuable than this world system. It's God. It's the Messiah. It's the Son of God. It's the Word of God. It's God's reality. But by embracing it, you break step with the world system. And all of a sudden, it's not like you're stupid. It's not like you're a loser. It's not like you don't understand the game. You see the bigger game. And you're not playing this little, okay, think about, they may come up with a corny example. Think about, I teach middle school. Think about middle school kids trying to win the cool contest. Who's the popular kid when they're 10, 12 years old? And it's like, then you got another kid who's like, okay, yeah, okay. We're not going to be 12 forever. Someday we're going to be 20. Someday we're going to be going off into careers and businesses. And okay, you can win the lunchroom battle. You can win the hallway battle. You can be the cool kid on the bus. I'm going to let that go, and I'm going to focus on, you know, say, let's say academics. Let's say homework or, you know, whatever. They're going to focus on that. Now, all of a sudden, they're going to be building a case, and when they're 20, the cool kid is going to pass away like the flower, but the kid that's not popular, that's focused on, you know, learning, education, or the things that, you know, he's singing more in a mature way, he may not be popular because he's doing these things, but he knows that he's getting wealthy. He's getting it in the end. The unpopular kids in this case, now does that mean all unpopular kids are going to be successful? No, some unpopular kids in middle school are still unpopular adults. Some cool kids in middle school, just because you're cool in middle school doesn't mean you're going to be a loser as an adult. So I've, seen, I've seen cool kids in middle school be cool kids in high school, be cool kids as young adults, and I'm ta- I've taught long enough that now they're grandparents, and they're still pretty cool. They've been cool ever since I knew them in middle school. And so the same thing is true. Just because you're, you're popular or unpopular, you know, it doesn't say the same. But the idea is, if you're focused on the right thing in middle school, you may not be cool, but rejoice you're heading the right direction. There's a bigger game than the lunchroom. There's a bigger game than the bus. There's a bigger game here in life for kids. It's called life. It's called adulthood. It's called whatever we're going to refer to. That's what we're comparing here. They're facing trials, and this goes for anything. If they need trouble, have trouble, and they need wisdom, they should ask God, and there's going to be a theme. He's going to come back to this repeatedly, and that's why you can follow this pattern in this book. And God is going to explain to them how to respond. And he's not going to tell them, like, and this is what's wrong with some churches today. They're not going here. They're coming out of the world with worldly problems, coming into the church, and the life coach pastor has done some research and done some reading, and it's got some information on five steps to be successful in fill in the blank, family, parenting, business, friends. And he's going to give you these. And he's giving you not this wisdom. They haven't gone to God. They've gone to Oprah. They've gone to the talk show. They've gone to some a- academia. And, and that's true. They, I, I, you know, what is it? Carnegie. You know, how to influence people. How to, what's the name of that book? Win Friends and Influence People. That would be wisdom 
But for example, it would be worldly wisdom. Anybody can figure that out. How do you, how do you win in the game of the world? Well, Andrew Carnegie told you. Well, you go to church and you get an Andrew Carnegie sermon. You're coming out of the world with worldly problems into the church of Jesus Christ, and they're giving you Andrew Carnegie's answers for how to go back into the world, and you're playing on, and James is going to be saying, no, no, don't do that. I'm going to show you how to respond in the way God wants you to respond because this Andrew Carnegie game is passing away like the, like the wildflowers. And this is why the poor should rejoice because they're getting answers that aren't necessarily going to make sense in this world, but you're going to be solving this world problem. Now, this goes two directions, and I'll get into this more next week. This answer, how to respond, the motivation behind this is twofold. Is one, it's going to help you. This is one of the themes. Why do you want wisdom in these trials? Because right away in this cha- as this book begins, these trials are going to help you grow. They're going to help you mature. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be getting ahead in life. It means right now, what is taking place right now in life is you are maturing. You're becoming prepared to become citizens of the kingdom of God. Remember that verse, you know, the spirit that he gave you longs jealously or is is zealous for you. He's going to take you here and he's going to use these trials and situations to help you grow and mature. You're going to, the, the good work that Jesus began, he will finish. And that's what these trials are doing. So that's one. And that is, that is what James is focused on is these trials are helping you grow up. But we'll say eschaton or eschatology the end times that's the like a theological phrase to it it means in the end or we can just say future in the kingdom of god you're going to receive rewards so the comparison is the wicked wealthy are not going to be growing and maturing they may be getting wealthier more strategic more benefits but they're actually fading away in their growth and maturity in in the kingdom of god and when they cross over there's no rewards what you had passed away where those who would be poor and they're poor because they're not in step with the world not because they're making bad decisions they're although the world may consider them bad decisions they're poor because they're following god and they're facing trials in this book because the wealth they need money we all need money and so they, they, they don't have uh, businesses. They don't have inheritance. They're like what we'd say a, a day worker. They, they, they got to go work by the hour. They're going off and they're your cheap labor. And who are they getting jobs from? The wealthy. And now the wealthy still have their money. They haven't broke rank with society. If they, they're supposed to cancel something, they cancel. They're, they're, they're the woke corporations, say in our case. And you need to work a job, so now you're working for a woke corporation they're making money you're in the in a sense of being poor but you're holding on to your integrity we're talking going back to the 40s ad making an application to today so understand that's a 2000 year break so not you know exactly what they're talking about but very similar they are holding true to the word of god so the trials they're going through god is with them if you need how do i respond to this woke corporation ask god he'll give you wisdom 
we're supposed to burn the building down. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's not what God's going to say. And he's going to describe, and he, they describe the fruit of the Spirit as we read through last week or two weeks ago. They describe, this is your character, so you're going to have to maintain the character and nature of God. Uh, the, some ideas there are, are patient, and again, that whole thing. The words are going to be, the, and these words, I don't want to say need to be redefined. I don't, I don't like that at all. When people, well, we're going to have to redefine these words uh, because that's exactly what a woke culture does is redefine the word to match what you want it to mean. But this joy that's going to be talked about, we'll get into this more next week, or excuse me, don't forget the calendar. We have no church next week or the following week. Christmas and New Year's, no class, and following no class on the next two Mondays, and no class next Tuesday. Um, so in three weeks, we'll review this, and if you're like me, I'll never remember I said any of this. Uh, but the joy they're talking about here is not happy. It's more of a strength. It's more of a hope, meaning you know, you know in this situation, that in this place of being oppressed, something's changing inside me. I'm getting a better perspective. God is building character in me. He's building endurance right now. And it's going to result in rewards in the future. Do I have the rewards? No. I'm not really even sure how to describe, but I know it's going to be good. And I know I'm getting stronger. But you're still oppressed. Did you not hear me? I'm getting stronger, and there's rewards waiting for me. I've got joy. Well, you don't look very happy. Well, I'm not. I'm oppressed. I'm broke. I'm oppressed. I'm working crazy hours. It's like you're not even smiling. So you're not even smiling. So this joy is not this. Now you just got into fake Christianity. He's always so joyful because he's stupid. He doesn't understand. It's like you understand this joy is hard. You don't have anything and you're waiting. Why are you happy? Well, you could say, that, you know, the joy of the Lord is my strength. But if the joy of the Lord is your strength, you're probably doing something hard and you're not smiling. You're working. You're, you're intense. You're protecting. You're defending. You're guarding. You're alert. But you've got hope. You've got strength. You may not look happy and you're probably not smiling. But you're not hopeless. You're not giving up. But people may say, I don't understand him. He doesn't seem to be very happy. No, I'm waiting for the Lord. He's not here yet, and so this is a war zone. You don't see soldiers smiling as they're fighting with the enemy. How's your day going? And you're, and you're in the middle of war. It's like, we've got joy. So this, and that's, that's the biblical. Now, I haven't redefined the word. I've just clarified the word. And so the idea here of, of where, what James is talking about is an inner strength it's it's a joy and you can't just come to church your first day as a christian have the pastor say you need to show joy you need to be demonstrating the joy lord and so okay from now on just stay stupid and smile it's like no you're still you're not going to mature because you don't know what you're doing and there's no rewards in heaven because you don't get rewards in heaven for smiling if that makes sense now again you know, that's not saying you shouldn't ever smile or, you know, Joel Olstein's going to hell because he's got a great smile. That's, has, that has nothing to do with it. It's just any more than wealth and poverty. It's like, it's, it's the focus. All right, so 
let's go ahead and how do we do this? Let's look at the notes here. And uh, they've, you've all got notes. I've got two pages here, but there's only one page, two, two pages on one sheet. Uh, I'm going to go through this, these first three bullet points or numbers at the top. The key themes are introduced in chapter 1, verses 2 through 11. They are, the, fir- the first one is trials or temptations. And be- between chapter, there's chapter 1, verses 2 through 11, is the first cycle. And then chapter 1, verses 12 through 27, is the second cycle. And they're going to repeat three points right here. And chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, is trials on the positive side. You're going to face trials or temptations. Same thing. The trial is a test, a trial, something hard. And you may be tempted to respond in a negative way. So the trial is also creates the temptation to go the wrong way. It's the same thing. It's just one is the trial and the other is the response to the trial. But these trials are going to produce growth. So this is positive. Down here, you can look quickly look, it's going to talk about trials, chapter 1, verses 12 through 28. It's going to talk about trials again. But now the problem is it could result in sin. So now it's negative. Meaning up here, trials. It's good. It's going to cause growth. Down here, we recycle through it again. Trials, dangerous territory because you could slip into sin. You could respond the wrong way. So again, great. I'm glad you're facing a trial because this is your chance to grow. But also be careful. It's your chance to sin. But in the middle of all this is going to say something like, but understand, God's not the author of trials. God is not create. God is good. He's not creating these trials. These are a reaction of the world being in rebellion toward God. You can always go to God. God is not the author of these temptations and trials because God, God is not tempted by them. God has not faced trials, meaning this is not, I, I've said it this way before, I'm not sure how accurate it is. He doesn't understand that. It's like, I can't see the color, you know, happy. What's the color happy look like? I don't even understand that. that you, you can't. And God doesn't, he can't give you trials and temptations because he wouldn't even know what it was. I mean, we're not saying God is ignorant. We're saying God doesn't see. He, he, obviously, he understands, but he's not the author of this. This is something he provides you ways out. And there's going to talk about, James is going to de- de- talk about that. That's coming up. Chapter 1, verses 5 through 8 is wisdom or Sophia, but also chapter 1, verse 19 through 26 is coming wisdom so it's going to repeat itself again and it's not going to be until chapter 2 verse 1 where we could say the body of the letter begins and i'm going to say in just a little bit in a moment we say there is really no body of the letter just starts but if this is this chapter one is basically cycle one cycle two of introducing the key themes and then the body of the letter begins in chapter 2, verse 1. That's one way of looking at it. And then the third thing, chapter 1, verse 9 through 11, is riches and poverty. 
and then down here at the same cycle right here you're going to have an example of the orphan and the widow meaning true religion is that that looks out for the orphan and the widow if you are going to be truly religious you will not see the orphan and the widow as aha this I could use in my field. This could be used for my political advantage. We need more orphans. We need to keep them widows because now you need me. Instead, true religion is like, I am concerned about their welfare. I'm actually going to help the orphan and help the widow. Now you see, you've got to be so careful because politically, everyone knows the right answer. Everyone's going to say, no one's going to say, we are the political party here to use the misfortunate. If you are destitute, we will put you in our factories and you will like it. We are here to oppress the poor and build our nation on the back of the immigrants. Vote for me. No one's going to say that. They're going to say what everyone knows is right. They're going to say, we care, we love, we're concerned. Why aren't you concerned? And you're going to provide an answer, and they're going to say, that sounds like oppression. That sounds like you hate them. It's like, you understand, now you got this whole political battle going on. But James says right here, the one that actually true religion is going to be the one that when it's all said and done, they're actually helping and are concerned. Now, no one's going to come out and say it out loud. They're going to dance around, and in the end, that's exactly what they're doing. The wealthy are going to, if you're truly religious, the wealthy would not be oppressing the widow and the orphan. They would somehow set up a system to help them recover, help them get out. They'd help solve the problem, not continue the problem. And now again, we're talking a book from around 40, so let's say just say 45 A.D., this is before Paul is on the scene. I mean, he's on the scene, but he hasn't written anything. And we're going to see in just a minute, he's writing to Jews who are believers who have, are dispersed. They're either dispersed because of the Assyrian and Babylonian dispersion, namely the Assyrian dispersion, and they've settled in other cities, or they're Christian Jews that have fled to join these communities. They fled from Jerusalem. This letter is clearly coming out of Jerusalem because uh, he's, he's going to address it to the 12 tribes scattered in the dispersion. And it's like, if you're writing to the 12 tribes that are scattered, where do you have to be writing from? You have to be writing from the center, which is Jerusalem. You can't be writing from Rome to the 12 scattered tribes because you yourself are the scattered. Writing to us, the scattered tribes. So this, and that's exactly what everybody thinks, is this is coming from Jerusalem to Jews. And we'll talk about that chapter 1, verse 1 here in just a moment. Okay, so that's the first point there. Uh, chapter 1, verse 2 through 11 is the first cycle. Chapter 1, verses 12 through 27, the second cycle says the same thing. Uh, the trials, point 2, here's what I've said already. Point 2, the, quote, trials require wisdom to understand how to maturely handle the struggle of poverty under the oppression of the wealthy. And that's exactly where we're heading. It's like, as we see our culture decline, what do we do? What, are, what is our action? And again, we've got voting rights, we've got freedom, we've got things that we can interact with, but there's going to come a time, if this continues, 
where you're going to have less and less options, you're going to have less and less freedoms, but you're not going to be, in a sense, destitute because this, you're going to be able to build. This is hard to wrap your mind around. We don't want to throw our life, our country away, but at the same time, we are not here to save our life or save our country because our life is passing away. Every country, every nation is temporary and passing away. Even though it may not pass away in your lifetime, it's not the eternal kingdom. So your whole life can't be spent on saving your life or spent on saving your nation. I mean, well, we're trying to save democracy for our children. That, that, yes, me too. But at the end of the day, eventually my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, my great-great-grandchildren, some children of mine in some generation are going to be having to face the fall of America if it's next year or if it's in a thousand years. So how can you say that? Okay, how can you not say that? I mean, it's like, that's, that's so, why would you say something like that? Because it's true. I mean, every nation, every culture cycles through. It's been that way, if you want to say, since the beginning of creation, or if you want to go with I disagree, the beginning of evolution. Once man came out of a gathering, people gathering little fruits off the ground and formed a community, if you want to believe that. However you want to play it, the Bible says he started in a garden. So... There's going to be a, so there's got to be something bigger for us to look at than saving our life and saving our nation. So as we play this political game or as we wa- play this s- cultural game, at some point you have to look up and see something bigger than saving the democracy. You've got to see the kingdom of God. And as we go through this right here, this letter is saying right here at, at I'll read point two. The trials require wisdom to understand how to maturely handle the struggle of poverty under the oppression of the wealthy. And as we talk about that, yes, there's certain things we want to do to save our freedom, save our democracy, but eventually that's not even going to be on the table for somebody. And it wasn't on the table for James's people. They had already been driven out of their land, either by the Assyrians and they'd found a refuge in another, another nation, or they joined those synagogues, those communities, by fleeing Jerusalem from persecution of the Jews. And now these people are in the same situation. You're in a foreign land. The, the natural culture is against your, your culture. Even your own native culture, the Jewish culture, is against you because you've accepted the Messiah. You have no culture. You have no nation. You are destitute. And you, you've lost all your credit. You've lost all your your certification you've lost all your family you are except those that are with you in the same situation and you've got to work you've got to get money and the only place to get money is to go back and work for the woke corporations or whatever and what do we do well you need christian character in that situation and you can't undermine all the you can't just be undermining all these cultures you just can't take and go attack them with worldly ways and james is going to tell is telling he's intent as we looked last week he's he doesn't teach theology he's applying theology i mean this is one in a sense one of the struggles with this letter is he's he's he doesn't lay the foundation he just goes right to the answers it's as if you've already got scripture and as we said last week and the week before Paul hasn't written anything yet. So there's no letters of Paul. The letter, the Acts hasn't been written. The Gospels haven't been written down in the form that we've got them. There's stories, there's accounts. 
uh, clearly, first, second, third John are not written. Second, first, second Peter is not written. Revelation is not written. But yet, they've got scripture. They've got the text, and they're applying these things. So they're already into. He's pressing for maturity. You need to start applying these things. He's not trying to. Con- he's not trying to convert them or convince them of the truth of the word of God. He's trying to tell them, look for wisdom and know how to apply it. Point three: the main idea respond to trials rejoicing in the knowledge you will be maturing as wisdom from god leads you ultimately your response and god's plan will reverse the roles and the poor will be the wealthy and the rich will fade away it's happening now it's like i mean you may not see the fullness in your lifetime but that's what's taking place the bible says clearly this age is already passing away and the kingdom of god is manifesting it's growing and so with that in mind they've got to face again this is the trouble i i see myself in i I see our culture in is how do we respond to a rebellious culture who's disobedient to god rebelling against reality how do i respond just stand up and holler at them tweet write angry responses or james is going to give us some advice and Obviously, it's not going to be go to uh, social media and take care of it there. Here we go. Chapter 1, I want to read just chapter 1, and then we're going to introduce the first, the first verse, and I'm going to show you some key words uh, that we'll talk about in one, two, three weeks. Okay, first of all, chapter 1, verse 1 in the NIV. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Now this begins a list that I'm going to be able to show you appears in several places in the Bible. This pattern. I shouldn't stop. But it's going to be trials, and then the trials are going to produce growth which are going to then produce these characters, character traits. And so you're going to have struggles. You're going to have opposition. But you're going to then mature. You're going to grow. And then you're going to produce all of these things, if it be the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. And it's always going to end up in something like love. Now, once again, love needs to be redefined. Love doesn't mean, you know, the woke culture ideal of you know in the postmodern generation love it's going to be a strength it's going to be uncrushable that you're going to continue to do what is right it's going to be james is going to you and you're going to see it come you'll be complete and now obviously when you're glorified you will be complete but these trials are going to be able to take you through a, 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 a way of growth that you're going to build endurance and then even like peter says endurance add to that you know, uh, perseverance, and add to perseverance, brotherly love, and to brotherly love, ultimately add love. And there's always, there's always this, this pattern of character traits that, that all the New Testament writers build on it. And James is going to talk about the trials growing, and then you will be complete. You will be ma- not, not glorified in eternity, but you'll be complete. You'll be a man. You'll be mature. You'll be love. You'll be able to now handle things with wisdom why 
because you're born again? No, because you got born again and you went through trials and you let God teach you and you use wisdom and started applying these Christian characters, the fruit of the Spirit to your situations, and they grew. You are growing into maturity. And it's not just James. It's, it's, it's just James is the first one. Oh, here we go. Verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Now watch this, the, the, the pattern. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Well, you mean I won't be poor? What? No, no, no. We're talking about character. You'll be complete, not lacking anything. You'll face every trial and you'll be like, boom, boom. It's like, man, you'll be just Mr. Christian not Mr. Churchy Christian, you'll be a mature Christian led by the Spirit, dealing with not necessarily smiling, not necessarily like happy, not necessarily friendly, but you'll definitely be acting like a Christian, handling all these situations with godly, godly character traits. But you're going to have to face these trust. He's saying, hey, don't whine to me. How else are you going to get to growth? How else are you going to get complete where you know how to handle these situations? You're going to have to face them. I mean, that's, you do that in sports. Before the game, you try to recreate the game and put them in all the situations so that when you get to the game, you can perform. Well, God is going to, yeah, I want to live a good life. Well, okay, well, then let's, let's start facing some trials. Well, I don't want to face any trials. Life is full of trials. That's all it is. Trial after, you got a Monday every, every week. There's a Monday. It's like, if that's, you know, if nothing else, you got to get up on Monday. And then it goes downhill from there. And so let's just keep working on this. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And that's your source of joy. Why would I be joyful in trials? Because if you keep going, you're going to be complete. And that doesn't mean financially completely with a nice house and all your problems solved. It means the problems can't come fast enough because you can handle them every time. It's like, bring me more problems. It's like, well, this is not the kind of maturity I want. No, you want worldly maturity. I want all my finances in a range. I want all my problems solved. But God's looking at something that's going to go into the next age, your house, your finances. None of that stuff's going into the next age. What's going into the next age is you. So he doesn't, he's not, I don't want to say it in a blunt way like this. He's not concerned about your house or your finances or all these things because he is, because he cares about our situation. But he's more concerned about you maturing. And well, that's, the Spirit is going to, he says, the Spirit is zealous for us, not for your property. The Spirit is not zealous for your democratic freedom. What? It's like, yeah, the Spirit of God is not working zealously, so you've got freedom. He's working zealously, so even when you lose your freedom, you're still a man of God. It's like, well, that doesn't sound very American. Well, no, because it's biblical. It's not, Americans are a, a temporary passing nation. Now, again, this won't preach. In many places, you, you, can't, even, you can't even get to this level. For a variety, either you're anti-American or you're pro-American, and now you're both worldly. I'm anti-American. Okay, that's a worldly stance. Well, I'm pro-American. Well, that's a worldly stance. Now, you can be pro-American and be a Christian, obviously, but you're going to have to get above just being pro-American, pro-democracy. Because this is talking about people that are going to be, well, we, we'll, we'll say it again, in foreign countries, uh, rejected by their own society with nothing except 
hope in the future and they don't have hope in the future but yet they should because you're exactly where you want to be no it's not i want to be in control if now watch this so right here, that's the situation complete not lacking anything well that doesn't make sense to me i don't even know how to act verse five if any of you lacks wisdom he should ask god who gives generously to all without finding fault now, you can see how you can take that verse, make it a bumper sticker. If any of you lacks anything, ask God, and he gives it to you generously. Okay, put it in context. God can give you anything, but in the context, he's giving you wisdom because you're caught in this political battle between the left and the right, the, the Democrats and the Republicans, the liberals, and now Elon Musk, who's a liberal, but he's now fighting for free speech, which supports what I, I don't know what to do. Well, what you do is, oh, what happened? Someone called me. <laughs> I got my phone casting my up screen. See, that's the problem. I, I don't have enough friends that no one calls me. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> someone calls me out of the blue. So it's like, I can't do that. Okay, my, my point right there, you understand my point right there was, you know, we, we got this worldly battle going on, and he's calling us to something higher than that. And that's what you need wisdom for. I mean, I've, I've expressed that to you, especially on Monday nights. I don't know what to, I wrote a brace for impact, but it's like, now, now how do we live this life? Which side am I on? Well, I know which side I'm on politically, but at the same time, th that's not always, they're not, I don't always agree with that. Sometimes you're just fighting a worldly battle trying to undermine this side, and I'm in a war zone. I'm fighting on this, this, this military team against this military team, and if riots break out, what, what, which, which, ride am I gonna, which side am I going to be on? It's like, now, you see where this is heading it, culture, historically? This is 45 A.D., and this is heading towards, well, we'll just say 66 A.D., the Jewish wars with Rome. And that's exactly the problem they had. By the time they got to 66 A.D., they had at least three Jewish groups, political factions, fighting for control of Jerusalem, and then Rome shows up. And so you've got the Democrats fighting the liberals, fighting the Republicans, militarily destroying and bombing each other's houses in Jerusalem. They look over the wall, it's like, oh no, China's here. And it's like, and then you, they're still fighting inside. It's like, let's all work together. They hate each other too much. And so they're still fighting each other while they're fighting the Romans, trying to get enough territory as the city's falling and the walls are collapsing and each you know, wall falls and they get another territory of the city. They're trying to, as the city's falling apart, they're trying to keep fighting each other to get some part of the falling city. And it's like, it was, it was chaos. And James is writing, let's say, what's that, 30? So that'd be 75? 45, 55, 65. Yeah, 21 years before the Jewish wars broke out, if the, this date is correct. He's writing 20 to 25 years ahead of that, saying, you can't choose sides. You've got to get your head above the game. It, it, you're going to face trials, and no matter which side you're on, you're going to be oppressed by somebody. And he's got his group picked out. What you need to do is start focusing on this. And I would say that to myself. Today, it's like, you need to get focused on something bigger than the Republican Party or, or the progressives or, thank God Elon Musk is here. Again, thank God Elon Musk is here. But it's like, like that's going to solve the problems. That's just going to push this to another level, maybe split into a third or fourth group. Now I'm on this team, and I'm still fighting like the world, and I'm still trying to get away from my trials, and there's been no growth, no character develop, and I'm not going to be complete. I'm going to be lacking every judgment day comes, and it's like I'm lacking everything.
I never, I never did grow. So notice that's 40, let's just say, go with my, my illustration. 2040 is when we totally collapse. That's not prophecy. That's my, you know, I, from the 90s, early 200s, 2000s. And this is 20, let's just say 2023, because it's almost 2023. Last time we'll have Bible study on Sunday in 2022. So that's what, 17 years. We're 17 years away. These guys were 45, 21 years away. So, again, that's not prophecy. That may not even be accurate. I may be a fool for even thinking of that. But that's what I think. That's, that's, I am thinking by 2040, and I've thought that since I was 35, doing the biblical accounting, uh, that's, that's the fourth end of the fourth generation. Again, it's going to be really embarrassing when I'm 81 years old, and, you know, I love the president. We're living at peace, great nation. Uh, in 2041 and i've got a great place in a nursing home and it's like and, and people are like hey did you write this book uh no nah, that's another galen weavers i don't know anything about that book but if it is true i, I definitely won't be in a nursing home <laughs> i'll be living on a street somewhere in a corner if i'm still alive okay enough about me and my future okay but that gives a perspective of what he's talking about in 45 AD, he's talking about these people. Stop, you can't be choosing political parties. You can't be fighting. You, the poor can't rise up against the wealthy because that's not even the name of the game. Now, again, if you're in politics and you're in society, there's a place to work for the benefit of everybody, but you can still do it in a Christian manner. Okay, and I'm not a pacifist. I'm not, and, and pa- it's not, you know, there's a place to take up arms and eliminate the opposition, but that is not the message of James's book. In fact, he, 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 well, we'll see it. But verse 6, but when he asked, okay, you're supposed to ask God for wisdom, who's going to give generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. And that doubt is going to be caused by this. On Sunday morning, you're, you're hearing this go, yeah, I agree. And you ask, and then by Monday morning, you're watching Tucker Carlson, and it's like, yeah, we need to do something. And now you're over here, and you've given up the hope here, and now you're back into the world. And now you're double-minded. It's like, yes, we need to seek the kingdom, but we have to take action. And again, there's a place to take you know, legal action, political action. But now your hope is from here has gone back down to the world again. And you're, you're double-minded. You're going between these two. And ask, meaning God has the wisdom. Don't doubt. Don't think, I need, I need Tucker Carlson. I need Elon Musk. You need God's wisdom. And it may include things Elon Musk or Tucker Carlson or Nancy Pelosi says, potentially. I mean, I, I mean I'm not, yeah, it's like, what, how can you say that? I'm not trying to choose a team here. I'm trying to be fair. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like the wave of the sea blowing here and, and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he should receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man and unstable in all he does. So you're going to come to God and ask for wisdom. God is going to give it to you. But while he's trying to give you wisdom, you're over here watching Tucker Carlson, trying to figure out what we're supposed to do. It's like, okay, God is, what? Oh, yeah. And it's like, you can't hear him because you're watching. You're looking for worldly answers. Now, I, I, I watch Tucker Carlson. I watch, you know, I mean, I'm not, but you understand the temptation. It's like you get caught up in this, this arena of the talk shows or the, where the answer, and it's like you're not even listening to God. You're listening to worldly people talk back and forth. And imagine there was Jewish unrest in 45 AD. 
leading up to 6060. So imagine they're going to God for answers, but yet meanwhile in Jerusalem, there's three or four political factions fighting, and it's like, here's the answer. We're looking for the Messiah, and you've got Jesus, who was the Messiah, who you crucified, and now you're looking for a new Messiah, and Jesus was the Messiah, and you can, this is very clear, that Jesus was the Messiah, but there's going to be three or four Messiahs pop up, and which one are you going to, is, is your Messiah Biden or Trump or DeSantis? It's like, well, it's like, no, we crucified our Messiah, and we're following his kingdom that is coming, and none of these guys are the answer. Again, that's not a political statement. I'm making an application to here, nor do I think, you know, those three are possibly the Messiah, but it's like, if you're looking to the Messiah, these guys are not, and they are actually going to, some of the Jews are, that's why the war is going to, they're going to break out, and their Messiah is going to lead them against the Romans, and they're going to be annihilated. And James is kind of prepping the people. It's like, don't go up here. That man should not think he'll receive anything from God. Uh, he is double-minded man and unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances, the poor, ought to take pride in his high position. See this? You're going through these trials. You have no answers. I'm humble. I, I, I don't even have enough strength to help myself. You should be glad because you can't choose. a. No one wants you on their political party. No one wants the Christian on their political party, especially at this time. The Christians are on their own. The Jews don't want them. The Romans don't want them. The, the zealots don't want them. It's like, I, 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 you take joy in your humble position. You should re, uh, the brother in humble circumstances ought to be, take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like the wildflower. The one who's here and is helpless, you are on track to becoming prepared for the coming kingdom that is the eternal kingdom. You're on one of these, you're a major player in one of these political parties on the Zealots or the, the Sadducees or supporting the Romans and the Herodians. Yeah. You ought to consider your weak position. You're, you're not going to make it. You're, you're going to be gone by 70 AD. You have nothing. That, that's how fast they're going to pass away. And again, that would be applicable for anybody, anytime. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. It blossoms, fall, and it is be- beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Even as he's, as, yeah, as he's busy playing this game, this, if it's business, if it's politics, whatever it is, it's like you're fading away. It, it's not going to last. And that's almost like a bridge into right here, chapter 12, or verse 12. That was that, 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 those verses are kind of like a hinge, and now you say the same thing again. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. We're back to trials. This is now the second cycle. Because when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life. The first time through, we're talking about growth. Be glad, be with joy, because you're, you're going to grow. Now, rejoice, because in the, in the end, you're going to receive the crown of life. Now, that crown of life won't take place in life. It's going to take place in the es- eschaton, or in the end times. That God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, when you're facing these trials, here's a little insight, the second cycle, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. In other words, I would translate that to make it in my own you know, vo- vocab. God is not, is God is, uh, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Why? Because he doesn't understand it. He doesn't have access to it. He can't give you, and I know God creates evil, he creates good, he's the source of all things. But in this context right here, God is not 
sending you this trial. This trial is not from God. It's from the world. It's from those that are in opposition towards God. Now, God, indeed, is connected to it. He allows it. He knows it's happening. He could have stopped it. But he is not up in heaven creating evil and sending it to the earth. Evil is in, within his realm, and so he's going to use it. But he is, he's the one you go for to answer. He can give you answers, if that makes sense. Anyway, here's what James says, translating the NIV. Forget what I said. Here's what James says. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when his own evil desires. Your problem is you have a sin nature. And he is dragged away and enticed. You look to your sin nature for an answer, and you think you see an answer on a talk show, and you're enticed and say, aha, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start rioting or whatever. It's like, no, 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 back up. That was your sin nature going to the world to solve the problem. God is giving you wisdom. He's not going to give you this kind of an evil temptation or an evil answer. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. And there's something we're going to have to break down. You can see uh, your evil desire is enticed, gives birth to sin, and that gives birth to death. You can see the process there of the growth or the decline within it. You've just, the very fact you've got a sin nature doesn't mean you're going to produce death, but the fact you've got a sin nature means you could turn to that evil nature and be, ah, here's an answer. Ah, I'm going to apply it. Ah, this is not working out. And you destroy yourself. So we all have that potential, but we have the potential to go the other way because of the new birth. Don't be deceived, verse 16, my dear brothers. Now, I got to talk about that word brothers because it is a word that is a religious, and I, I explained it the other day. It is not just addressing males. It is addressing a, a, a brotherhood. It, it's like a group. It's a religious connotation. Has a religious, so it, it would include men and women. It's, it's not gender uh, specific. It's like you are now in our brotherhood, so you're a brother. You're a, we'd say, member. And so, because, again, we'll talk about that later. We try and translate it in modern translations, brother and sister, but it doesn't say brother and sister, but it doesn't mean male. It, 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 it means member. It means you're of this brotherhood which would include men and women. But anyway, we'll talk about that. Uh, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. Now, what are these good and perfect gifts in context with the cycle? It's wisdom. You're looking for wisdom in how to live in this age who does not change like shifting shadows. I mean, it's it's, it's consistent. He chose to give us birth. There's your new birth through the word of truth that he might be a, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. He put you here as born again, put you through this so you might be a type of fruit, first fruits of all that he's created. He's 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 doing his recreation process. You're the first you're the first ones. You've been born again. Amazingly in this fallen age, in an age of evil, you've already been born again and you're already growing out of this fallen age that's passing away. You're the first fruits. Eventually, this whole age is going to pass away. It's all going to be new. But you're going to be the first crop of this new age. Even before the new age comes, you're already the first fruits of the age that is coming, which, again, is, is pretty, pretty cool. Okay, that's, again, reading through that. 
And I've got written down here some notes, and I've got to, we've got to kind of come back and pick this up again in two or three weeks. I want you to notice I've got four boxes of Scripture there with the Hebrew, or the Greek, I mean. Uh, just very quickly, I've got the, in the first verse, the word James is Jacobus, you see. In the Latin, uh, Jacobus is, is translated into Latin from the Greek, and it come, becomes, goes from Latin into the English as the name Jacob. But the Greek word uh, it goes through, and it, Jacob must. No, excuse me, I did that wrong. Jacob bus is is the uh, Jacob Jacob is the Greek word in the Latin the Latin it becomes Jacob must I got to get this written down so I can read it accurately here Jacob must which be, the Latin turns into James and so because the Greek translation went into the Latin Vulgate when it came into English it was James but if you take it directly from the Greek into the English it's Jacob. So, basically, the point is, the Hebrew word that you name right there, Jacobus, became two English names. It's the same name, Jacob and James, the same name. It's just one went through the Latin, became James. One went from Greek into English, it became, uh, say this, Jacob. So, we've got a son named Jacob. We've got a son with a middle name, James. We just used the same name twice. We didn't even know what we were doing. I've got to quit. It's 12 o'clock. But I've got some key words, and we're going to break this down. For the, we'll probably take two weeks going through those verses. Uh, I hope that helps. And I, for me, this is, you know, sometimes you teach a book and you find it interesting and applicable and always learn from it. But this is almost like the book, and I've taught through it back to like 2004, 2005 or something. I don't know. Uh, but this is almost like the book I was talking about probably about a year ago, and I was going through Brace for Impact. I got quite, I'm not sure how do we handle it, what do we do. Someone like this book, and it might be because I'm in this frame of mind that I'm reading it and seeing these things, but at the same time, it's coming out of commentaries. These commentators are explaining it the same way, but it seem, really seems to be a pertinent book for myself, and if I do, you know, make, c- communicate it correctly, it's exactly what we need for our time. It's like, and look, look where they're at. 45 AD, and they're going to be gone in 21 years, or the war's going to break out in 21 years. And so it's, he's getting the Christians in the right, he doesn't you know, necessarily know what's happening. I won't say he doesn't know because... You know, Jesus had already prophesied, but he's talking to specific problems, and it kind of matches some of our problems today. I'll pray, and then we're free to go. Father, we thank you for the chance to look into this book. We thank you for the opportunity to hear these words. We do ask for wisdom, and that's that we would not be double-minded, whatever that means, and however we can keep that in, in, the, in the right way, we ask that we'd keep our minds set on you. Not that we'd be ignorant of world events, but Father, we'd always look at the world events through your perspective, the divine viewpoint. Father, we do ask that we, again, might find joy, and hope in these situations because of your word and your promises. And we do look forward to growing and maturing and entering your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for your time.